Oh, we've made it through the holidays, and it's another Overnight Scape Central. Oh, man, I hope you had a good turkey day or whatever you do on that, uh, what, third Thursday? That, that fabulous, or is it the fourth Thursday? Oh, I get so confused with these holidays that dance around. The dancing, and now they all dance around. They, they cling to the weekends. Uh, the only the Christmas and New Year's are the only holidays that do not cling to a weekend. And they can create some catastrophically, epically long weekends. I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't consider possibly a day or two before uh, Christmas well until at least a day after New Year's as a time where you, you, you're not getting anything done. You may actually go in to somebody's business or office and yes maybe you can purchase something that is sitting there on a shelf but it, it the things don't happen during that gap so to speak. Uh, and what does this have to do with elegance, the topic of this week's show? Nothing. That's right. We're talking about elegance. And I was just doing uh, not even a Gene Shepard-esque digression. His digressions indeed are far more elegant than uh, my clumsy just Oh, I get a word association and I'm off to left field and gone out of the stadium for forever. And I never get back to what I was originally talking about sometimes. Whereas the Shep had that that clever way of no matter how far he seemed to have gotten from what he was talking about, he could bring it back and close it off Uh 999 times out of a thousand right at the end of the show so neatly and succinctly i if frank can do that to a certain degree and frank let's face it he, he's smoother than the pq river guy and and yeah frank's here chad bowers is here and uh yes lucky you I am here as well. Uh, the uh, mucilage between the elements that holds the overnight scape central together, the elusive uh, PQ River, uh, that's me. And uh, yeah, we're talking about elegance, as I said. And uh, let's just, uh, boy, elegance. Well, Gene Shepard, really, he would use that word. And once I was listening to the shows, kind of, I'd listen to them all a couple times and listening again. Um, I noticed that uh, on each, almost every show, especially uh, once we get into the mid-60s, uh, that tends to be the highest praise. That word, elegant or elegance, uh, is when... Mr. Shepard was really impressed and wanted, really excited about something and wanted to extol the virtues of this idea or uh, object. And yeah, uh, go back and listen. And very soon I've got something coming that has some Gene Shepard on it. And I'll bet you he says elegant at least once. I, I would, well, I don't know if I'm going to stake my life and career on it, but I think the odds are in my favor. Uh, that aside, uh, holidays and uh, side things going. I mean, it's so good having Shambles back on the channel and 
Dave is doing his sermons on a regular basis, and those are just great fun. Uh, a lot of old stories I'm familiar with, as well as some ones that I am not so. And it really is tying all this, uh, call it myth, call it great stories, call it the Bible, whatever you want to call it, uh, taking it and approaching it the way he is, is uh, it pleases my sensibilities greatly and of course frank keeps everything going as usual Uh, we've got quite a station going and for those of you uh the fuse box i gotta give them credit incredible production value uh they're really putting together uh a professional slick and still entertaining program, but uh, that they're certainly uh, not aiming at the de- whatever demographic I belong in. I'm, I'm really trying not to belabor politics on any side, ideally, because are, are you tired of it? I know I'm tired of it. And I kind of like to think of the Overnightscape and the Overnightscape Central generally, with the exception of a few exit ramps, although let's face it the exit ramps are nicer when we're talking about old movies is it not i thought so ah that would be so much more elegant ha 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 pinkies up everyone oh yeah i had a bink uh business partner older dude and when his way of saying elegant well if something was really really elegant it was pinkies up you know how uh, people hold a teacup or something uh anyhow uh we will start this festivity off we've got something from the incredible true effects of space our friend chad bowers well hello it's after thanksgiving 2022 November leading into December. It's a misty day out. I'm driving north on Interstate 65, just past Montgomery, Alabama, headed to Birmingham, Alabama. It was great to see my brother and uh, my nephew Jackson brothers, son and daughter, uh, Caroline and Jackson Bowers. Caroline had her boyfriend, uh, Mitchell, over, who's a really interesting guy. He's a fishing guide, hunting guide. They're thinking about moving up to Wyoming to teach people how to fish, how to hunt, have a good life in the uh, leisure industry. Sounds good to me. I was thinking about uh, doors this morning. I was in the bathroom and the door was closing fast on its own. It was going to slam into a stop, you know. I didn't want it to slam. You don't want to be slamming doors. So I reached out to grab it quickly. But as I reached out to grab it quickly, I only managed to hit the edge of it and further accelerate it. In a way, my effort to prevent the slam created the grand slam. And then people ask, why are you slamming doors? 
Well, I was trying to keep it from slamming. You're trying to keep it from slamming, and you ended up slamming it? Well, yeah, I reached out for it quickly, as quick as I could, but I wasn't quick enough in my my hand, and it's continued acceleration struck the edge of the door, propelling it forward even more so than it had already been under its own weight. I slammed the door. I'm a door slammer. So what's going on in 2022 leading into 2023? I'd say it's damn hard to know. And I suppose, in reality, it's always been hard to know. I think back to the young soldiers drafted into the Civil War. Can you imagine growing up on a farm without a radio and... You probably don't even get newspapers. Maybe you get a local paper delivered. But that's one source. One source of news written by a local person in control. Now you got uh, corporations writing the news, and it's all in the interest of corporations. Not any one country or person or state or region. Just in the interest of making a profit for the non-existent entity known as a corporation that exists solely to make a profit on behalf of the investor shareholders. So you've always been in a situation where you can't really know anything. You're just told things. And now that our national news is uh, world news is so controlled by the the NATO G7 nations or the uh, I guess if you're on the other side of the fence North Korea or China or Iran or perhaps India Afghanistan, they don't like each other they probably got their own angles on everything so the only solution is recognize this noise pollution the only solution is uh just make decisions based around the people around you that you interact with. The only real things that you know are the things that you uh, directly come in contact with and react to. As pure as you can, either, anyway. You think about uh, things rising to the level of public consciousness... think about ideas like helicopter parenting. Yeah, I think it's a a bad thing. But it's not the worst thing. You know, there are conceivably worse things. That being said, with each person living in their own reality, their own little bubble of reality, looking through things, through their desires and wants and past experiences for something to be identifiable among a large group of people as a thing a meme, an idea a concept, you know a trope 
just to be recognizable, think about the, uh, the barrier it has to, to get around. Or Similarly, for something to become a success, you know, you think how popular something has to get before it's just ubiquitous, part of the wider pop culture. It happens, but it takes uh, it takes time and a lot of awareness. A lot of things never break that threshold. And they were real and valid, but people won't remember them because they won't be talked about as a shared memory of that time. It'll be individual memories with a membership too low to cross the threshold into a shared reality memory of things past. That kid on the farm, parents have read the one newspaper, they came over from another country, they were trying to uh, survive. They lived in reality. They, they fleed another country. And they came to the American South and they lived and they were so happy to have religious freedom. They were happy not to be at the beck and call of some idiotic inbred king or queen. They had the promise of this uh, United States of America, where the people came first and the government was second. The government serves the people rather than the people serving the government. So you can imagine when they heard that uh, America was taking a a turn and, and going to change to be more of a centralized control, uh, a la Abraham Lincoln. You can understand how they might uh, be drawn to send their children to fight for that life that they were barely clinging on to being dirt farmers. These weren't rich people. Now, there were rich people. Obviously, there always are. And those people had their own interest. Their interest is how we remember things. Why is that? What is wealth? What does it mean to have wealth? What is control if you don't have control? Yeah, what does it all mean? Well, it doesn't really mean much in the big picture, universal, universe-sized picture. Stars come and go. Places like Earth come and go. Conscious entities come and go. Who knows how long it all lasts or how far it extends or how many times it's happened before. This year's Nobel Prize winner, some of them uh, won a prize, two scientists, for proving, with a scientific proof, that our, uh, that our universe, our reality, is not locally real. They're not saying it's not real or it doesn't appear to be real. They're just saying it's not locally real. It's all coming from somewhere else. Is it like a projection or a four-dimensional shadow cast from other angles? Perhaps it is. 
But we're not capable of knowing. We can only guess. And we do so with the knowledge that we're going to die. It's the only thing we do know. And as you get older, you see more and more people uh, die and get sick. And good people, bad people, it doesn't matter. It all ends up the same way, so... I think you get a little grouchier as you get older. People making a fuss about various things, you can you can only pretend to care so long until the important questions of when's dinner. Hopefully you've got a blue plate special ready for me by 4.30 in the afternoon because I'm ready to eat dinner. Uh, then I'm going to watch some Pat Sajak spin the Wheel of Fortune. And then a little later, I'm going to die. But that's okay, because I don't remember when I was not alive either. I have no memory of it. No recollection of not being here. So it can't be that bad, right? I mean, if it were bad or something, maybe I would remember. I don't think there's much you can do about it. And sometimes when you can't do anything about something, you you just deflect it onto something else. So I get all hung up on, I can't believe that guy painted his house pink. My God, it's the worst thing in the world. How could he ever paint his house pink? This is like a wavelength of light. What the hell are we even talking about? It doesn't matter. What does it all mean? And the meanings keep shifting. I look at my young nephew and niece and they're fresh out of college at the height of their intellectual powers and their mastery of the world that they grew up in. That world from 2020 when they were born to 2022-23 when they finished college. They have a sense of self developing the whole time and Senses of what's normal, what's not, what's desirable, what's not. And it's probably at its most congealed, its most solid form for them, somewhere around 18 to 22. Uh, I would imagine that now that they're going out into the world, it's already starting to collapse the meanings that they held as far as girls wearing shorts despite it's, side, it's cold outside. And, you know, all these girls on college campuses wear these shorts. And they got big jackets on or, uh, or hoodies or things on the up part of their body. They keep that warm, but then they, you know, they walk around in their shorts. I, it's comfortable. And it's the norm. But 15, 20 years prior, there was another norm. You know, maybe they're wearing pants with uh, flared legs, or maybe they're wearing bright colors. Maybe everybody's moving to cotton. The trend is, is we're going to natural materials. The trend is, is uh, we're going to show our wealth by showing how much fabric we've got in the 80s. You know, wear these huge shirts and huge floppy pants. My God, we can afford all the fabric we want. We're kings, I tell you. We're all related to kings. Back there to Cleopatra. We are the magnificent, benevolent sisters of Cleopatra. <laughs> the great Gildersleeve says. 
on our Thanksgiving episode. The first Thanksgiving episode. Check it out, man. Greg Bell will hook you up on Radio Classics. Yeah, these things are constantly changing. So now they find themselves entering the workforce. And they know all of their parameters. uh, Thousands of thousands of little details of how things ought to be done, should be done. How you would want things to be done. The type of independence a young woman or young man desires. or the, The type of life they hope to have. But day by day, they will encounter little challenges and little changes to this crystallized reality they've made in their heads of the situation they're in. And it changes just day by day, moment by moment. It's not a lot of change over a week. You'll be like, oh man, I hate that that restaurant went out of business. That was important to me when I was a kid. Oh, that's sad. The school no longer marches with open flames in their hands. You know, everyone used to love the flaming backpacks we would put on at the football games. and It was such a party when we would sit on the 50th goal line and uh, eat clam chowder while building bonfires out of old episodes and magazine copies of National Geographic. We would build bonfires out of these old National Geographics and and the band, all using kazoos, would would play Gasoline Gus in his marvelous jitney bus. And, and it was just such a party and such a part of our lives and our tradition. There you go a few years later and uh, people are telling you that you're a Nazi. If you even uh, mention the fact that Gus ran and operated a jitney bus... And while we're at it, isn't the term uh, bus a little uh, risque? You know, you know I've got to warn you, you're, you're sounding a little politically incorrect right now. i got to warn you. Yeah, this is the way people are. And day by day, the reality slips. And there's a younger group of people that thinks it's moving in their direction. That's the foolishness of it. They're, they're thinking, oh, I, didn't, I never even knew that donut shop. I'm excited about the new barbecue place moving in. Maybe that will become my favorite hangout. Maybe I'll kiss a girl in the uh, at the salad bar of the barbecue restaurant and we'll eat some macaroni and cheese together. Who knows what will happen, but it's my reality coming into focus in front of me. The reality's congealing into a lattice that I understand. Not realizing that it's falling apart behind you as it comes together in front of you. And the one that you become comfortable with through your age, let's say 8 through 22, that one is starting to fall apart before you even get to 22. Yeah, it's uh... And if you were to fix it, here's the real issue. Think about everything in life that you wish were a different way. All the little picadillos among different interest groups. If you could just fix everything, 
how long do you think it would last? Or would it instantly start peeling off in a new direction that you didn't even expect the consequences of what you did to get it like you thought it ought to be? Because every one of those is going to have an unintended consequence that's going to reverberate back to you. And you're not going to like where it goes. And that little bit of sense of control you got, you start to realize that you've lost it right about time your body starts falling apart. And then that little voice in the back of your head that knows the only thing you truly know, that death and disease awaits. Everyone you love, everyone you like is going to die. You're going to die. They're going to disappoint you. You're going to disappoint them. There's nothing you can do about it. It's going to be sad. I hope you can laugh along the way and find some stuff to laugh at. It's the only uh, relief that you'll get. But it struck me looking at these bright young faces facing the tomorrows of their dreams. and It just kind of struck me that they don't even realize it. But their reality, their bedrock is starting to fall apart right from under their feet before they've even gotten started on what they think of as their life. We're not trying to survive anymore. On a daily basis, people are not fighting hunger. People are not pairing up as pair bonds and creating offspring for the purpose of survival. What do you think happens when that becomes the case? Well, for a while, people keep doing it. They keep looking at the old traditions. And there's still sexual attraction there. They're still thinking, I, you know, I'd like to... Uh, I'd like to get with this uh, person. But is there a real point behind it? Is there a real purpose anymore? When it's not for survival? How long does it take to fall apart before real issues such as hunger and having offspring to take care of you in your old age and to help you tend the production of food and resources on a daily basis? How long can we stay at this level where we're in clown world? We reached the point by 1955 or so, 1960, that we just kind of went on cruise control. We had solved most of the issues of uh, poverty and hunger for most people. I don't think we ever did as much good as we did from, say, 1995 to 2020 or so. Those were the years when we uh, had pretty much achieved the widest success of bringing all this bounty and joy of new technology to the entire world. The thing we didn't see coming was their inevitable overpopulation and coming famines. We didn't see that they would be connected by audiovisual means to the rest of the world and therefore we would all feel responsible and they didn't foresee all that. What's the implications of it? We don't entirely know yet. It hasn't 
played itself out like a traffic jam. Like a traffic jam, unwinding like a coiled snake. Cars up front start, but the ones behind it haven't, and the ones ten back sure haven't started to move. It's just this moving snake, just slowly moving out. It takes a long time before it's all rolling. But that's just a single issue. And you've got all kind of issues layered on top of each other to more and lesser degrees. So it's a moving target. And obviously, we are failed and sinful. Because when you sin with an arrow, you miss the target. And we miss the target because the target's always moving. By the time we've decided what the target is, we're doomed to miss the target anyway. It'll move out from under us. I watched a Hallmark Christmas movie with my mom last night. You know, it's the day after Thanksgiving, and uh, guests had gone home, and it was kind of quiet. A good Christmas movie is like a... uh, A good Hallmark Christmas movie is a lot like a greeting card. In some ways, the expression written on it sounds cheesy, but... In the right frame of mind, you can pick it up and hold it, and it might make you feel warm for a second. And I enjoyed that warmth. Thank you, Hallmark Channel. That young lady that showed up to write a story about the man who had became Père Noel down in New Orleans or Louisiana somewhere. Well, it was her father, and he didn't know it, and she didn't tell him. And by the end of the movie, she seemed like a daughter to him, and that's when he told her, by the way, I'm your long-lost daughter that you had to give up when you were a young man without direction. You just lost your job. Things were going bad. You were in a bad relationship. You let me go. But it's all wrapped up, and it's in the warmth of holiday spirit, and it passes a couple hours, and you go to bed, and you dream about that movie. But the dream's only about one little aspect of it, the meat pies. The minced meat pies made from the most flavorful cut of the mints. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to uh, Frank talk about Thanksgiving and the game of uh, pool where you take the lows, the mediums, the highs. I, I kind of get the gist of what he was saying, although I'd have to be shown how to play it to really enjoy it, but but that sounds like a good pool game. You played a clip of Marshall McLuhan, uh, Frank, talking about machines dehumanizing us. Now, I don't think he was wrong at all. I, I think we're seeing it. I think the uh, the biggest crisis that we have is a meaning crisis. The crisis of meaning and the crisis of... Uh, depression, destructive depression and anxiety and unease and unwellness. I believe that it will continue to dehumanize as really the only thing keeping us all together at this point 
is the traditions of the past that got us here that we have not quite abandoned yet. Although we're losing any concept or idea of why those traditions started in the first place, frankly, it's because we're not needy enough. We, we are not dependent on the same things those in the past were dependent on to survive. And that being the case, a lot of things they did don't really make any sense if you look at them objectively through our eyes now using today's meanings and reality one sees around oneself. But yet, time and again, what happens is is that leads to directionless, which leads to a crisis of meaning. And the society will literally kill each other because they all think they're their own interest group and they think everyone else out to get them. Now, what are we going to do about all the uh, all the people that don't get along? And there's an increasing number of it. They keep dividing into more and more tribes. Hell, I saw a flag that had 50 colors on it. It didn't even look like a flag. It just looked like a dirty old rag, you know? Like a grease rag. That's my flag. Grease rags are said to spontaneously combust. And I'm inclined to believe that uh, they will. And that's why that's the right flag. The old grease rag. Why do we even have flags anymore? Does anyone even know? Why is it even important to have a flag or a symbol or an indicator? Haven't we learned? Haven't we learned these transitive meanings become ever more transitive? Yeah, you're best just sticking with the people right around you. Try to make them laugh. Try to be good to them. Try to uh, Try to enjoy your day each day. Let the news go. They're up to no good. They don't care about what they're talking about. They want to sell advertising. What they're talking about is totally inconsequential. They really don't care. They just want to get you upset. So there you are, upset. You're working so hard to fight it. Meanwhile, you could have been playing chess with somebody. And you could have been eating something. How about a nice cheese pizza? That sound good? Yeah, Thanksgiving. A lot of food. I ate, a, ate one plate. And then I made a sandwich with dressing, a roll, and some smoked turkey. And it was really good. I like the dressing on sandwiches. That's a hell of a sandwich. But I'd already had squash casserole, which was delicious. Green beans, which, uh, man, if you, you know, I know you haven't eaten my mother's green beans, but I tell you, got all these onions cooking in it, pieces of bacon all through it, all this, uh, bouillon cubes of different types for spices and flavors. 
Man, so good. So you could just drink the liquid out of it. They call it the pot liquor. You just dip you some cornbread in that pot liquor and be happy eating that all day long. But I ate all that. I ate that and I ate the uh, sweet potato casserole with the candied pecans on top. It's, It's all so good. Very rich food. A lot of butter. You get that Thursday afternoon, Thanksgiving afternoon coma. Watching the New York Giants and the Cowboys play. At the very moment, Frank was watching relatives play chess and keeping an eye off to the side on the game. It worked out okay, man. One of them won. Yeah, that's the thing, you know, these these holidays. I remember waiting on Thanksgiving just a few weeks ago. and I think I like it more when it's in the immediate future and you're looking forward to it. And there's a moment when you... When you get home, you know, you're around family that you haven't seen in a while, saying hello to everyone, what you've been doing. You know, you put a good face on it. You don't, you don't have to tell them that. Uh, oh man, we're, uh, you know, we're having a hard time getting those widgety widgets. Uh, boy, there's a backup. Is it? No, it's going fine. That's what you say. That's what you should say in that case. Maybe remark on something, you know. Somebody will say, man, Alabama's having a hell of a bad season, aren't they? And you'll be like, well, I, you know, they're... I guess, I guess, they lost two games, so... I, I guess from Alabama's perspective, that's pretty horrible. From Auburn's perspective, that would be amazing. That would be, man, where did that talent come from? We hadn't been playing that good in years. Yeah, all this relative motion, relativity in all things, as above, so below, scattered throughout the creation like a fractal pattern that keeps repeating. That and irony, Alanis Morissette. Well, she had a pretty mouth, didn't she? You like Alanis Morissette's teeth in her mouth? I think if she weren't such a star on the Nickelodeon network, she would have become perhaps a dental model. Something Vishna doll and watermelon cat could exploit by putting on posters and sell to dentists around the entire country. My uh, nephew Jackson, who I truly wish I could spend a lot more time with because there aren't many people on earth that have as much mentally in common with me. My brother, Jackson, to a lesser extent, Caroline, she's kind of got her own reality going on. She's, uh, She's always been a very, very private person with her, you know, with her own things going on. But, but I tell you, Jackson's sense of humor and uh, my brother Tony's sense of humor and my sense of humor—they are clicking in the same, uh, 
the same rhythm which is making the canoe go faster than those boys from Harvard. Hell, we just took over the Oxford team, passing under the bridge, making jokes that would make no one laugh but one of us. Yeah, a lot of people don't get it. But that's the thing. you got to find your people that get it. One thing I really enjoyed was Jackson fired up his uh, his Xbox S with the newest uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. And we flew around Mobile. And we looked at our houses and places that, uh, you know, were important to us around town. And he let me wreck an F-18 into the lighthouse. We flew over the beach. We flew over Dauphin Island and uh, Fowl River, the, the restaurant my brother was playing at last night on Fowl River. It's, uh, it's the kind of place that uh, looks just like you would hope it would. It's all dilapidated. And it's been there a long time. And people drive their boats right up to the dock and get off. and They can refuel their boat there. They can get some gas for the boat, a little boat gas station. And, and there are lots of places to park your boat so you can come on into the restaurant and have a few beers and watch the my brother play some music. And getting to fly over town and look at all these places was fantastic. You know, it's all based on satellite data, so it's real. It's as real as it could be. Look what your hand does. Time isn't after us. Time isn't holding us. Look what your hand does. Yeah. That's how it seems sometimes. But we got in the uh, the Dark Star, which is a Lockheed successor to the SR-71. Has not been publicly unveiled yet. Unless you count its appearance in Tom Cruise's new movie, Top Gun 2022. Yeah, it featured in the movie, but they put it in the game... And it's a hypersonic reconnaissance aircraft. It can travel a little over Mach 10 at around 200,000 feet. So we flew over Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles, the convention center where I've attended past E3s in the distant past, that is. Uh, it's been a long time. But we flew over that and took a look, and then we punched it up, and uh, we climbed to about 180,000 feet, whole time accelerating. We got up to about Mach 10, somewhere over the, uh, the mountainous west, looking out over the Grand Canyon. You know, about 20-something minutes later, we were cruising over uh, Manhattan. That was pretty awesome. Jackson's played the game quite a bit, you can tell, because he didn't use a map to get to Manhattan. I remember we were crossing the Mississippi, and he sort of just angled it up, and it's like, we're going to go over these Appalachians here, we're just going to, you know... He knew where he was going. 200,000 feet looking down at Earth. I guess it's a little easier at that altitude. 
you've got a good vantage point to survey your location off nothing more than the general shape of the continent itself and the appearance of some known lakes and rivers. Hell of a thing flying the SS Dark Star. The thing I don't like about the plane is it's a single seater in real life. I'd much rather be hanging out with somebody so you could talk with them as you're enjoying the the high speed and high altitude. Looking from outside the plane, the skin on the nose and the nacelles and the tips of the wings is all glowing cherry red, fading back across the body. Jackson said if you flew at nighttime, the entire plane was glowing like that. You don't see it in the daytime because of the nature of black body radiation and how it looks in the daylight. But yeah, that was a, that was a highlight for me. I, I truly enjoyed flying across the country. Some would say it's just a civil <laughs> some would say it's just a simulation. But then some would say it's all just a simulation. So a simulation within the simulation is uh, still a simulation. And I still experienced it. And I still enjoyed it. Probably the one of the best plates of Thanksgiving was the full plate of food that, uh, that I reheated Friday evening. I'd gone out to a local Mexican restaurant with uh, Tony Ann, Caroline Jackson Mitchell, and we had tacos and nachos. It's a place called Moe's, M-O-E-S. You might have one near you. You never know. So we enjoyed that, though, and uh, took a nap that afternoon, and then I heated up this big plate of food. It's pretty good. You see, that's it. Chad has it. That was really um, Shepherd-esque and still Chad. And that that was just delightful. I I dared not interrupt it, nor will I sully his utterances with my usual uh, nitpicking and uh, updating and correcting and all of that crazy. That that was just, that was, yeah, that was good. That good. Very impressive, Mr. Bowers. That was some incredible true facts of space all the way through. And again, I am so, I am rendered speechless because I know that that's something I'm just happy to have been the purveyor or partial purveyor of. I mean, Chad could have put that on a show of his own, and it needed, it did not need this. So uh, thanks for making this even more amazing, because really, let's face it, there is nothing 
more remarkable than this ongoing series of collaboratoriums where everybody gets their own uninterrupted say on a topic and yes you have to contend with me and my uh, uh, remarks but where else where else on the internet do you get to participate in something like this and I'm I, I invite you every and and ungrateful you no, but really it would be nice if you join us next week uh, but uh, I'll tell you all about that later because this is just going so well and I am very pleased and uh, without uh, losing any momentum with my own dribbling let's see what happens when we hand the floor over to the uh, Gene Shepherd of the modern era himself Mr. Frank Edward Nora what is it? your father's lightsaber this is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. Yes, that is, of course, the use of the word elegant in Star Wars, the original Star Wars movie from 1977. An elegant weapon from a more civilized age. And it's funny because the word elegant or elegance uh, it's a word that you just, I know what it means, but I, it's hard to really pin down the definition. I've even, I've been looking up the definition of the word, and I still can't really quite pin down what does it mean. Uh, an elegant weapon, it's something that's not, it's somewhat simple, reserved, um, proper for the task at hand, but that doesn't really quite get at it. I know I know in that sense elegant sort of like an elegant solution to a problem, right? It's it's a it's a design. It's it's a an answer. It is a solution that is in no ways ex- excessive. It's something that does its job very well but with a minimum um complexity, right? And again, I'm not even defining it properly. Um, of course, thinking of the word elegance, you think about it being in terms of uh, like visuals and an elegant dress or an elegant dining room, right? Elegant dining, right? Um, I know my wife works in uh, you know nursing homes, and you know they have uh, an activity sometimes called elegant dining, which is kind of like fine dining, you know. Uh, which, what does that even mean? It's as opposed to just any old dining. It's elegant dining. It's um, some degree of formality. The food is better. The way people are dressed may be more formal. It is. It is a tough one to sort of pin down. You think. You think of a, an elegant lady. You know, where um, dressed up in a way that's. Um, not overly opulent, but um, it's simple and reserved, but very still very expensive, right? Um, it's wow, it's a frustrating word. It really is. Let's look at the definitions and the etymology and try to figure some stuff out about this. So here's some simple ones. Uh, elegance is the quality of being graceful and stylish in appearance or manner, or style. A slender woman with grace and elegance. 
<laughs> what does graceful mean? This, it's a word that's defining the word. And the, the second definition is um, the quality of being pleasingly ingenious and simple. Neatness. Um, so I guess you could say the lightsaber is pleasingly ingenious and simple for its task. Um, it does, I mean, th th there are two sides to the elegance, right? So it's used for two different meanings, but it, they're, they're definitely connected in some way. Elegant almost, you know, because I, I find usually when I'm looking for an elegant solution to a problem, it's usually a very messy process to get there. So when you think of elegance, it's usually associated with someone who's rich, right? Has a lot of money and a lot of resources, which seems weird because we're talking about something that's simple and basic. But it's almost sort of like um, being able to add as much decoration as an expense to something and then taking away everything that's excessive and being left with a minimum of things, but they're they're put together very well. That is the the aspects of the system that an, a system that's elegant or a, a visual that's elegant is something that um, the individual pieces can be very expensive or very difficult to achieve. But they're the minimum level, right? A lot of times when you look at things that are overly decorated, it seems like you're just heaping on embellishment, right, um, which almost takes away from that. And of course, elegance is something that relates to our cognition and our perceptual systems, our aesthetics, which is a, a topic I think about constantly. You know, how do we, how can we look at something and judge it for being, that's inelegant, and this other thing is elegant, right? It's a perception, it's a feel, it's a feel, um, but in a way, you know, and, and of course, all of my recent interest in uh, the concept of morphic resonance and how that relates to cognition in terms of um, how we judge things, how we view things. And I have said in the past that our very advanced seeming ability to perceive beauty and to judge the aesthetics of something seems to really be out of uh, scale to our, you know, when you view life uh, from just a biological perspective, it's all just chemical and uh, physical uh, reactions, right? The fact that we can sort of, we have this incredible aesthetic sense where we can perceive elegance amongst other things doesn't seem necessary in terms of our basic survival. But of course, that kind of, uh, you know, thinking about the world as purely material and materialist, atheist kind of thinking, that's perhaps a mi minority of people that view that. And most people would simply say, well, it's God that you're perceiving. You're perceiving aspects of God, you know. People like to say that without realizing that the word God is incredibly vague and it's not really, it's pointing towards something, but it's sort of an inelegant word in a way because it's, people say it as if they know what they mean and they think they know what the person they're communicating with knows it means, but it means a million different things to a million different people. But I think one um, aspect of the perception of elegance is that it's, it goes to the theory that we are 
um, related to a much more advanced life form and that we have been genetically diminished and therefore though we are rather crude creatures we are we still maintain this extremely high-end aesthetic system that again is out of scale to our type of being that we are right which would sort of imply that right the our original form had a much more uh, stuff going on and then we were diminished through a genetic manipulation or a process which I'm sort of defining as genetic manipulation because that's the closest thing I can think of. I think that, you know, the... Uh, when talking about morphic resonance, you know, it would not necessarily be a genetic manipulation as much as uh, uh, some kind of a technology that can get at what get at the morph- morphic field, right, as it relates to individual uh, entities. I think that perhaps, and this is the first time I'm kind of going down this road, We're think- what we're thinking of as DNA, which itself is a rather elegant solution to a problem, um, is not actually the thing. But there is a thing, a key, a code in each of us that uh, defines our shape and our connection to other other things, and I think that perhaps we we found DNA, which is a string, a code that uh, sort of structurally matches what we what we're looking for. What makes one person have brown hair and the other person have red hair? You know, uh, what makes someone brown eyes and someone blue eyes? And we're thinking this is the code. Um, but I'm, I suspect, and again, this is the very first time I've, I've suspected this, that the genetic code, the DNA sequence, is not that is not the actual code. It is a separate coding system, uh, which is th- the actual code of each of us is is stored somewhere else. So that's a brand new theory, <laughs> for what it's worth, uh, because they did find that, and I and I, I admit I'm not very well read on this topic, but that um, there was uh, a lack of uh, information in the genetic code related to sh- the shape of things, your eye color, etc. More The code is more um, a series of templates for proteins and things like that. And again, I admit, I could be misinterpreting it, but um, but when you think of what we understand about the DNA, it is very elegant, right? It is a, a string of uh, uh, molecules, and uh, there are four letters in the alphabet of this uh, thing, C-G-A-T, right? And uh, mechanisms inside the cell are able to, as it's a double helix, they're able to uh, split it apart, right? And then each half uh, can can be reattached to uh, the the same base pairs, th- thus making a copy of it, using some sort of mechanism uh, inside the cell, which is itself, as far as we understand it, an elegant machine. Um, I think that from what little research I've done, the understanding of of what goes on inside a single cell has been uh, our understanding that is through research has uh, our our understanding has increased vastly in the past hundred years or so and uh, what we found is something far more complex than we had suspected 
is going on in there. It seems almost impossible, <laughs> right, that, that, that this system doesn't break down, right? That inside each of the, what is it, millions, billions, trillions of cells inside of you, every single one of them is chugging away with these intricate mechanisms, uh, generating proteins, uh, splitting apart DNA, using parts of DNA to make the proteins, and then cells splitting and duplicating themselves, right? Morphic resonance does provide perhaps a more elegant solution to the, the question in, in the sense that it is not um, a machine that has been essentially set up, that's been duplicated, you know, descended from through billions of iterations from other cells and still working. It's that the mechanisms themselves function through morphic resonance that is other than you would think right uh, a system like life with these intricate machines inside the cells again using the word machine for lack of a better term that uh, right reproduction or further instances of it could only introduce errors or problems right the do right I, I don't know that there's a good uh, explanation as to how those flaws don't uh, um, replicate and wreck the whole system. But with morphic resonance, the more copies that exist, right, the more stable the system is. That is a new cell. What's going on inside there is very much resonating with all the other cells that already exist, right? And they all reinforce each other in terms of their shape and function, right? It makes it makes all of this biology make a heck of a lot more sense. Now let's look at the etymology of the word to try to understand it more. All right, the online etymology dictionary. I'm on there almost every day. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, circa circa 1500. Tastefulness, correctness, harmoniousness, refinement of speech or prose. So this is related to writing. Hmm. Uh, from elegantem, earlier form was elegancy, circa 15th century, meaning refined luxury. Uh, sorry. Elegancy from uh, the 15th century. Um, the meaning of refined luxury is from 1797, fairly recently in history. Via French, uh, come German elegance, uh, Swedish elegance, etc. And uh, let's say um, elegant from the late 15th century, tastefully ornate from the o old French elegant from the 15th century, directly from the Latin elegantum nominative elegance, choice, fine, tasteful, a collateral form of present participle of elegere, select with care or choose, meaning characterized by refined grace. Uh, sorry, the meaning characterized by fine grace is from the 1520s. Latin elegance, elegans, originally was a term of reproach, da uh, dainty or fastidious, 
The notion of tastefully refined emerged in classical Latin. Related uh, word is elegantly. Elegant implies that anything of an artificial character to which it is applied is the result of training and cultivation through the study of models or ideals of grace. Graceful implies less of consciousness and suggests often a natural gift. A rustic, uneducated girl may be naturally graceful, but not elegant. See, that is actually very, very interesting, right? That gracefulness and elegance are related, but a rustic, uneducated girl cannot be elegant, but can be graceful. So elegance um, is related to uh, a study of things, a knowledge of things, and an awareness of the way things work and the way aesthetics work. But I'm thinking that both these words are words that we know what they mean, but it's like something elegant is graceful, right? Gracefulness is an aspect of it, something... Right. So I'm just trying to see. So what about if we try to define gracefulness? There's something weird going on here. That's what I'm trying to say. Oh, there's something going on. All right, Frank. Absolutely. And I like that other code thing that you're talking about, the beyond DNA encoding that may well be held in a different uh, yet undiscovered aspect of the human body, perhaps in the cells. Who knows? Who knows? It, it could actually happen through some telepathic or telekinetic method. But you never know. Yeah, never. Oh, man. It, 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 science is just so flexible. It may as well be like myth. Uh, yeah. I like that about the science. But you were talking about the etymology, and it all clicked. When I was a young PQ River, a young lad, wandering uh, after school up and down the streets of Monticello, Broadway especially, the main drag, there was a shop called, get this, Elegante. And it was owned by this family, and indeed, uh, that was probably my first real exposure to that sort of thing. I mean, all my aunts and grandparents, there was always a room in people's homes growing up where there was like very nice furniture, but don't go in there. And there was plastic on the furniture over you know the upholstered cushions and the backs there, there would be these yellowed plastic covers that were protecting the fine you know embroider i don't know what they were protecting and there would be these cabinets with plates and ceramic things and small sculptures and this was like apparently considered elegance in the day uh and that's what this shop elegante had i mean just it, plates and i'm one of these people i can't do it i could never put a plate on the wall a rug on the, a blanket which people do with collectibles of these i will not own a plate or a bowl or unless i can use it as a plate or a bowl they're very i keeping things and yeah they're precious 
Although certain elegance isn't necessarily precious. I like graceful. Graceful is working very well in my head as your thing. Because, yeah, it, the things that are elegant are graceful. And most things, I don't think all things that are graceful may be elegant, but vice versa, I think. And, and, and that lightsaber, that sample that you opened with, uh, I didn't even make that connection. I haven't watched the original Star Wars films that many times. But, yeah, the lightsaber is an elegant weapon graceful having or showing grace or elegance okay are we going in circles here all right grace simple elegance or refinement of movement again what is grace it's elegance what is elegance it's grace it's like it's like we're, we're, we're in a loop here courteous goodwill And then grace, of course, in the religious sense, uh, in Christian theology, the spontaneous, unmerited gift of the divine favor in the salvation of sinners and the divine influence operating in individuals for their regeneration and sanctification. So I think this is what is going on here is that grace or elegance is a thing we can perceive which is a feeling, a perception, like hot or cold. Elegance is something we can perceive, though maybe not quite define or understand. Um, it seems that the divine is referenced here, especially grace in terms of the religious side of the word grace. But I think it's related here that um, perhaps as I was saying, if we are a diminished form of a, of a of an actually set different type of humanoid being and of course here we come back to the anunnaki of course as one name for them that what we perceive as grace or elegance is actually to be more like anunnaki rather than human right ooh theory alert theory alarm <laughs> the theory sirens are going off new theory inbound that is, right, in some ways we can reconnect with our, for lack of a better term, divine heritage, right? That those things which suggest the world we once lived in, the beings we, want, we once were and has been lost, right? It's simply a deep down connection or understanding to uh, that other thing, which we still know at some deep level, right? So there's something, there's a lot more going on here, you know. Because, you know, I do work in the fashion industry where elegance, the term elegant and elegance is often thrown about. Simple elegance, you know, things like that. And it does feel in a way, you know, I, I perceive it as, as I'm not someone who is, I do not have elegance in my uh, somatic aspect. I, you know, my body, my clothing, and the way I move, I feel is rather inelegant in, in many ways. And so I feel like, uh, you know, there are some people who are able to pull off that look. You know, they just know how to dress properly, how to tilt their head. You know, they just sort of radiate elegance um, in a way. It feels very superficial, right? And whether it's superficial or not is a separate question. Um, 
But I feel it sort of seems like this uh, urge toward somatic adornment, right? So you look good. And as we can sort of quote uh, the uh, Saturday Night Live character that Billy Crystal did, uh, Fernando, Fernando Lamas. And apparently, I don't know what that, what was the origin of that? You'll look marvelous. You'll look marvelous. It is better to look good than to feel good. Who was the original of that? I only know the 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 because uh, that that was this. Everyone was quoting that back in the eighties. You'll look marvelous. You know, you know, it is better to look good than to feel good. You know. I remember I used to watch a show called uh, What Not to Wear, and uh, it was this team of people would uh, would would like the friends of someone who d- who didn't dress well. Uh, suggested them, nominated them to be on the show, and then they were sort of like uh, surprised. And we're going to help you with a new wardrobe. And the every and, and the person's like, "Oh, this is this is so comfortable." Oh, there's the c word again, comfort. No, <laughs> it's very much. It's better to look good than to feel good, right? <laughs> Which is, you know, so it just sort of feels like. Uh, Let's just put it this way. Some people have it and some people don't. But I think what I'm sort of complaining about is this sort of the urge to have it when you don't have it. Right. The urge to try to sort of. And I know you can apply your will to try and look better. And like that that picture of me on the show art uh, for Abnormal Splicer. Where I just simply, you know, put on a suit and a, a suit and tie. And I just look more. Like, I, I looked better because I was dressed up. But what does that even mean? You know? Is it that we've found these ways to stimulate our inherent ability to perceive the divine? And when I say the word divine here, I think it's, um, again, that's a word that's related to God that is very vague. But um, when I say divine, I'm right now I mean of the Anunnaki, of which we are Anunnaki ourselves, but we're uh, a diminished form of Anunnaki, right? That's the idea. That in some way, we're an offshoot race of Anunnaki who have been diminished in stature, lifespan, intelligence, gracefulness, and everything. Um, And so, for example, if you put on a suit and tie somehow you're looking a little bit more like an Anunnaki would look in some way, right? Um, but in the scheme of things, well, why not just be an Anunnaki? You know, like if, if we are cosmic minds that can be anything we want to be, why not just be an Anunnaki? Well, I think that you can be an Anunnaki if you want, but um, for whatever reason, we are here as humans, right? And uh, one of the big questions about that is, is it, uh, is it a deliberate choice or are we being forced to be humans and we don't want to be? I tend to think it's a deliberate choice because um, being in this small, confused form, yet still having the vestiges of the divine in us, as you know, in common uh religious discourse that man is made in the image of God, right? Which 
So humans are, in the image of, are like Anunnaki, right? They're like them, but they're not. They're not exactly like them, but they're they're similar to them. You know? But that the the narrative, the milieu, the uh, the experience of being human, and this is a point I've made many times, is that right the experience of being human and having these connections to and flashes of and deep down understandings of um, our divine origins produces a uh, an experience that's quite unique and quite different than being an Anunnaki. And it, the experience has value, right? But I would say that, um, <clears throat> for example, I guess I myself am very aesthetic in terms of uh, the finer things in life, you know, music and uh, design, food, drink, smoke, like I was just smoking a cigar. Um, I like the finer things in life, you know, and I feel like there's a certain elegance as a part of that as well. You know, like when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, alcoholic beverages, you know, I will really, when it comes to like beer, for example, there's so much great beer out there, and I prefer IPAs, but um, to drink like a Budweiser or a Miller, you know, is, uh, to me, is is objectionable because it's just there's such better stuff out there that tastes better makes you feel better and um and i know some people a lot of people really never tried that stuff and they just liked what they like but i love trying new things and um you know like when it, like for me especially when it comes to whiskey i think a lot of people have just tried like uh whiskey is not just one thing you know having having your jack daniels I've had Jack Daniels, you know, the regular black Jack, Jack Daniels, and no, the, I'm thinking of Johnny Walker, the red, yeah, that that's a scotch, that's a low-end scotch, and it just doesn't taste good, it doesn't make you, it doesn't feel good, but the more expensive stuff, or the more, which, or the better stuff, which tends to be more expensive, it just has a better taste, a better feel, it makes you more happy, and it, it is more elegant, really. I mean, I don't know if you could really use that word for it, but it's you know, it's just uh, a delight to the senses, right? To the point that if I'm, I would rather drink nothing than drink like garbage. You know, uh, is that snobbery? No, it's it's aesthetics, right? It's uh, I prefer that, you know. And when it comes to uh, graphic design, I'm very um, critical of graphic design and. Uh, you know, there's a certain elegance to certain designs. It can be simple, and yet they just work. There's a balance to them, and the typography is correct, and the fonts are appropriate to the usage that's being done, right? And uh, inelegant design is something that I find rather offensive to my to my eye. You know, like certain fonts just drive me up the wall. The endless use of Times New Roman in large sizes drives me nuts. And that font Palatino, I'm just so achingly familiar with it. And it's such a delicate font that really requires tender, loving care and really should only be used at small sizes. Because it was one of, one of the original 35 Laser Writer fonts, it really shouldn't have been. It's not a workhorse font in any way. I, I read one article once where, why the hell is Palatino in there? Just throw any Caslon in there 
that's much more of a uh, it's a similar font uh, it's a transitional serif but it's it's so, so much more robust and can stand so much more typographic abuse um, unlike a Palatino which really does not and it has Palatino has a lot of quirks that uh, are less noticeable in small sizes but in larger sizes the the quirks feel uh, ornamental in some ways and unnecessary and are uh, you know it's it's something I find objectionable typographically <laughs> so I guess I do look for elegance in design and to me I do uh, my main form of graphic design is my show art and it's just uh, you know sometimes I Sometimes I hit the mark more than others, but I feel like, you know, sometimes I agonize over it. Like the one I did recently with uh, the Flea Devil Solitaire. I made that logo, which I really do like that logo, but I wanted to say play Flea Devil Solitaire and then have the Overnight's game. And it took me so long to sort of find the right font and find the right position and find the right balance so that it felt somewhat okay for me. So I wound up with that purple background using that font um, Ogden. And uh, kind of the way I positioned it, I felt it achieved a certain elegance. Um, I didn't know quite how to do it. I just kept placing it, and some placements just didn't look right, didn't feel right, you know. Um, a lot of times when type's a little bit too big or the relationship between things is too much, you can uh, – I don't know what it is. It just feels wrong. Some people say, oh, the, heist is v- the type is very horsey. It's just too big. What's actually going on there, I don't know. It's it's an aesthetic judgment that just is a feel. Again, we have this capacity to judge things aesthetically that comes down to a feeling. It, it's, it's not really anything um, – I mean you can say you – can, you can describe some things that aid in elegance, right? A balance, but – that some, you know, all the elements relate to each other, especially typographically. But again, just like perceiving elegance, it's maddeningly hard to pin down what it actually is. And one other, you know, one recent thing that I've been working on and I feel I finally achieved is Flea Devil Solitaire, as I mentioned. Uh, the game I have been developing for 15 years Right. If you look at the game now, and I know really no one else has played it but me at this point, but if you play it, you can see that the rules do have a sort of a simple elegance to them. Right. You start off with a shuffled deck, and you start putting uh, cards that are matched. You put on the top as your bankroll, and then you can use that bankroll to move cards. And right, it's all this whole system that sort of works together just using a deck of cards. But it took 15 years of effort to like get to that simple, elegant design, you know? Uh, and I think that I spent uh, a long time with prior to working on the Overnight Escape and the Onsug, I worked on Obliviana Super Occult Amusement where I was looking for a system that could elegantly uh, solve this, this issue of it's hard to even put into words, but I was never really able to quite get there. I was hoping to get to a more elegant solution to, um, you know, a, an occult entertainment system. <laughs> uh, but a lot of times that elegant – so that basically shows that aspect of it, which is that, you know, it's only through 
attaining a deep familiarity with a system or a topic where you can create something elegant, right? Because systems rely on base reality, rely on uh, both on mathematics and natural laws, but also very much on our perceptuals, on our perceptual systems, which is something we don't understand. Why is it you look at something, oh my God, that it looks awesome, and this other thing, oh my God, that sucks. You know, like what, what is going on there? It's our ability to judge things. And music is another thing. I'm very, I get really angry listening to music I don't like. And uh, I always look for the right music for the right mood and the right um, situation. And uh, again, it's all just a series of noises, you know, but um, good music is both the mathematical structure of music, but then how it stimulates our perceptual sense. That is, <laughs> it's hard to put this into words, but in all these things that I'm talking about, right? Why do I like drinking an, a fine mezcal as opposed to just drinking some vodka or something? I mean, they're both alcoholic drinks. They'll both get they'll both get you drunk or give you that alcohol feeling, but right. And a lot of times, people can't really distinguish um, the aesthetics of things until they get more familiar with them. <sighs> so in the morphic resonance aspect of things, that sense of familiarity, we think of as learning, but it really is resonating, right? As you learn, in the case of drinks by trying different drinks and what you like and what you don't like, you're, you're resonating with um, a field of aesthetics that uh, other people have had about these things. Yeah, <laughs> there's, some, there's something there that I can't quite put into words. Um, I think that there's another side to this. You could talk about... Um, a model that is more along the lines of the uh, natural world, right, without any any aspect of the divine, when you add morphic resonance in, right, each of us as individual beings are um, born kind of like a, with natural resonance, right, that is we are resonating with our past selves, with our close relatives, and then all humans, and then all animals, and then all life, and then all of the universe. But each layer of the onion out is less of a, less of a um, resonance. So the idea is like when you learn a language, for example, you're actually, what we think of as learning is actually resonating with. That is, by exposing you, yourself to it, you're you begin to resonate with other people that speak that language. And so when it comes to aesthetics, right, there is already established, um, there has already been established by other people what tastes good, what tastes bad, what looks good, what looks bad, right? And I know you could say that 
good and bad begin with what is good for us and what's bad for us. Like, we know that the smell of rotting meat, which could kill us if we ate it, is bad, right? And the smell of, of nutritious food is good for us. It will nourish us and it will not make us sick is good, you know. Um, when it comes to pe- people looking good or bad, there's a, certainly an aspect where right, certain theoretical angles talk about we have a natural desire to mate with another person whose features are very symmetrical, right? Whose physical form is healthy, right? And strong. And we're more attracted to people that have uh, these aspects. And that is a natural consequence of the need to reproduce the race that is talking from strictly neo-Darwinist theory an, an individual of a, of, a, of a species who uh, was more attracted to less healthy looking people they would reproduce and produce offspring that would be much less likely to live to the age of reproduction right the idea that those who had sort of a for whatever reason, a natural inclination to be more attracted to the more symmetrical and healthy-looking people, they would reproduce, and their offspring would be more likely to live to reach the age of reproduction. That's more of a neo-Darwinist look at this thing, right? That what's good and bad and what's aesthetic is based in uh, physical survival, right? But... I don't think that the experience that we're having can be uh, completely explained by that. There are certain aspects that seem to be explained by that, but you could also say that <coughs> um, a type of life form that is beyond the need of the blind reproduction and short lifespans would certainly not have that kind of um, need, right? that that the sp- our specific situation here could be because and I've theorized about this that the human race was designed to um, exist away from Anunnaki society and exist on its own in very harsh environments and the what we think of as like a, the readouts or the dashboard in a car right it's handled through urges, right? So we need a lot of things to live. We need to breathe, right? If, if, if you're smelling something horrible, you want to get away and get f- to fresh air so you can breathe something that's good. If you're, if you're thirsty, you want to drink something, right? Drink some water. You just get a feeling of thirst. And if, you're hung, if you need to fill up your gas tank, if you need some food so you're hungry, right? So that urge, that feeling of being hungry... And uh, in order to guarantee reproduction, a very strong urge toward uh, desire towards a sexual union to produce offspring and things like that, maybe more f- features of human level of existence. Whereas I do think there's aspects of the aesthetics that cannot be explained by any of those, um, you know, the beauty of a sunset or whatever. Like, what would that be related to, you know? And I know you could try to cram all of our aesthetics into some sort of 
naturistic basis, if that's even a word, or natural basis, I suppose is the right word. But I tend to think that elegance, grace, and all these other things are perhaps evidence of uh, other origins of us, that our origin is with a much more advanced life form. Is that an elegant solution to the problem? I don't know. Back to you, PQ. I don't know. There's a part of me uh, at least would like to think that the Anunnaki, while very wise and great aesthetics, were klutzes, and they tried to make us somewhat—I mean, we may be temporary, but they tried to make us capable of some sort of poetic movement, like, like ballet. I, I I really wish I had a better appreciation for ballet. I can watch a few minutes, and yes, I can appreciate the discipline. And and the, that's an elegant thing. The opera, the, these are things that in my mind I should be able to appreciate classical music. Uh, but I have a certain attention limit for most of it that, it just cannot be exceeded. I could never go to a full orchestral concert. I've tried on several occasions. Uh, they were free ones, and it was very nice. I thoroughly enjoyed what I was able to sustain. It just somehow reaches a certain overload point in my mind, and I can't that I have the the cup is full and now overflowing and I might get a headache. What can I say about that? But yeah, there's it could be. Uh, I I just if we're, I I mean I I am one of the clumsy ones. Uh, I have very little elegance. Sometimes accidentally. I seem to hit it, but if I'm thinking about it at all, like the PQ River trying to dance, that's not. I I have uh, two left feet would be generous for how cloppy, and I'm not, I mean, I can move my hands around a little, sway, but uh, actual dance, that's probably, and oh, and Frank. What was elegant especially was the way you were describing fonts and their capacities and their um, weaknesses. That that was beautiful. That was really, that was delicious prose that, that just rolled off of your tongue. Oh, you silver-tongued devil. And uh, yeah, fine dining. I love the idea of fine dining. I would need to have a large meal before I went to it, I think. Uh, in the fine sense of fine dining, it is these courses with these very small servings of many things that are finely prepared and looked very precious. This is in my mind, of course. And I like that, but I find something on one of those little plates that I like, and I want a huge heaping bowl of that 
that's what I want. I, I have reached, the, okay, I found something I like. I can't have any more. You've got other things. It just, this is not the way my, it's a very selfish brain. I'll be the first to admit it. It's like, oh, I, I <laughs> probably from who knows what this developed i this is how i think about eating and i am a more of a gourmand than a gourmet i big servings really when somebody puts something in front of me and it's like oh wow could i finish this that's nice and I know most people, they're having, you know, dietary, you know, they're trying not to overdo it, especially this time of the year. And here's PQ River, who can just, yeah, I have that met metabolism that I oft uh, refer to. I guess, not quite boasting, but uh, man, I, I can eat literally anything, which is both good and bad. Uh, people tend to get tired of you and the other thing is it isn't always i mean it isn't every day i am ready with this appetite to swallow the universe and sometimes it's almost like my body is purposely like thwarting and being contrary just so i can't count on it being predictable and it will just pull the plug on my appetite at the same time as somebody has invited me and they're like here, here's something you like, and a whole bunch of it. And I'm like, oh. Like, I, I burned out on Eggs Benedict in the last... That, that was... That's a fine dining thing until PQ River gets his hands on it and wants three Eggs Benedict and extra hollandaise. And it's just like... Oh, and then taking the extra hollandaise home and spreading it on toast. I mean... <laughs> decadent pq river and not very elegant at all <laughs> definitely the pinkies are not up and i'm probably washing it down with gatorade <laughs> anyways <laughs> this was a good episode of the overnight scape central a little bit of everything thank you chad for uh and frank for that yeah this was there was a lot of shepherd-esque feel which was i like when that happens because that's really what we're here for uh inevitably at least that was the basic idea and i i personally if i'm anywhere in the same ballpark as gene shepherd uh, you know way up in the uh high the upper gallery way in the back corner uh, out in right field I'm happy as long as I'm in the stadium that PQ River is satisfied with the work and yeah not bad not bad at all so uh, here's where yes you 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 should join us next week uh, and that's all of you come on give us a little bit of your time next week is a fun topic what we've been watching. Uh, yep, like your 2022 things you were streaming, watching, uh, not necessarily new or old, but uh, yep, just catch us up on some of the things uh, 
that stood out, uh, both good and bad, and uh, make some recommendations, and uh, we can share some goodies. And remember, if you're listening next time, to take notes, because uh, when we do something like this, I always take notes and still uh, lose the notes. There, there's so much. We have resources on the Onsug, and you're one of them. So you can't make any excuses here what we've been watching next week right here as we dance into December of 2022. Uh, let's see. Here's how this is all going to work. Uh, the deadline for this next week's show will be the 6th of December 2022. You can get it to me early on the 7th, and I think you'll be fine. Uh, The email address, this is important. You should have this written down somewhere anyways, because you can always contact PQ River, contribute, comment, what have you. The email address is kpqr.com. T-O-R-C at gmail.com. Once again, quicker. K-P-Q-R dot T-O-R-C at gmail.com. Yeah, do it. Come on, join us next week. We will be so happy. Uh, Come home if you've been on here before. Shambles, Bob Lament. Maybe you watch something cool this year. Ah, hop on, man. Now I'm doing the big call-outs. Hey, you over there. You. You haven't been on in a while. This isn't easy. Anyways, with any luck, I will be overwhelmed next week. And then you will be too. <sighs> All right. Uh, with that, uh, this has been a good one, like I said. And I thank you for bearing with my driveling and uh, presenting style with these great hosts. Here I am, just blah, 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 PQ River. Anyways, until the next time we meet, set the controls for the heart of the fun.